Oh my gosh, hello. Oh, my, one of my favorite things is just how he's just like in the background of everything now. He's just like, hello. Hey. Say hi. What did we name him? I don't know. It was it was some kind of like pool boy name, you know? Like yeah. it was it wasn't Fernando or Alejandro. It was something. Yeah. It, it's in a previous episode. I'm not gonna go back and look. Anyway, he can say hi. We'll make him say hi. Yeah. With all that being said, hello. <laughs> and welcome back to another episode of Take a Killer 2 Brunch. I am one of your co-hosts, Darcy. And I am the other co-host, Shannon. And this is our first episode um, of our second year, which is crazy. Mm. So it's kind of like season two, episode one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah. With that said, um, we have a doozy of an episode for you guys today. And I'm very excited to get <laughs> to get your hot take on it. Because um, when I researched this and I found this, it's a couple. We have a couple today. Oh. Um, I was surprised I had never heard of this. Because they're borderline like manson-esque Ooh, yeah just a little bit less like we want to kill pregnant women i guess if that's it that makes it any better but also like the the quintessential toxic uh-huh mm-hmm. and our i mean i guess you could say like our cult leader is a woman which you know i mean of all things to be a leader in <laughs> right. and the best part is her name is susan so Oh, it's Susan. So this is Susan's tragic backstory. <laughs> we still love you, Susan. Did you even know when we named our like recording voice at Susan that you did a Susan killer at the time? You mean this one or before? Like when we like named Susan. I did a Susan episode? That, well, oh, guess you did the Yeah. No, I didn't put the two and two together. Oh. Because when we named Susan, that was way after this had already been written. Mm-hmm. So we still love our Susan and our Susan doesn't claim this Susan. <laughs> Even AIs can't claim. This is delicious, by the way. Yeah. Would you like to tell them what the signature cocktail is? Um, it was whatever I had left over in my refrigerator from this past weekend. Love. Which was um, some of those ice drinks, which are basically like a sparkling water. Delicious. Fruit punch flavored with some Deep Eddie's lime vodka. Solid choice. I was going for like, you know, like that that the quintessential like fruit punch with like the sherbet in it kind of thing oh okay that's what it reminded me of i like it it's delicious so thank you very much and zero sugar but i mean not for the deep eddies that has shit ton of sugar but you even take you yeah know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. it's called balance mm-hmm. right okay so you'll have to tell me if you have heard of this couple or this case we're going to be covering Susan and James. He also will go by Michael. He'll change his name later on. And yes, that's a biblical reference. Yeah, of course. And just funsies, he doesn't change his name. She changes his name. <laughs> so we're going to be covering Susan and James Michael Bear Carson, also known as the Witch Killers. Huh. What also a fun way to roll in the spooky season. You know what I'm um, yeah, this is a wild case, and um, it also all kind of starts in Arizona. So, really, yeah, we're gonna start in Arizona and we're gonna work our way to California. That's great, naturally, naturally. So, we'll start with Susan. So, we're gonna start with Susan, and then we're gonna go to James, and then we're gonna talk about when they meet. And then, when his name changes to Michael, is when I'll switch over to Michael, okay, just so it's easier for everybody and I don't get confused. So Susan is our Virgo for this one, since we are still in Virgo season. And she's also the year of the snake, which I think is fitting. 
because <laughs> she's uh, kind of a snake. Um, and her her soon to be husband, um, James, is a Scorpio. So what an interesting combination because I'm and he's the year of the tiger too. So he's the year of the tiger. She's the year of the snake. She's a Virgo. He's a Scorpio, which I find funny because I'm a Scorpio. John's a Virgo and they're supposed to be like soulmates and this is like a very terrible rendition of that <laughs> so it's fine um they are inevitably going to end up murdering three different people and their method of killing they call themselves the assassins of god ew <laughs> so that was the method of killing I put in my notes because I felt that was the only way to suffice yeah, how how they do this. So we'll talk about Susan. Um, her name is Susan Barnes, and this is her childhood. So she was raised in a Christian home, and that's probably not a surprise to anybody. Um, but she was born September 14th, 1941, in Arizona. Susan lived um, a life of comfort as World War II raged on. Um, her newspaper executive father was doing just fine. So wealth, society probably comes from Scottsdale, if I remember correctly. Um, from a young age, she suffered with hallucinations, hearing voices, and she claimed she was a clairvoyant. So schizophrenic. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, but think about it. 1940s, a rich kid's daughter, no, a rich kid's daughter, like that's not going to be diagnosed. No. So she claims that she has clairvoyancy. She wholeheartedly believed, even to this day, that these visions were glimpses into the future. She could communicate with angels she could talk to the dead all this kind of stuff um it wasn't enough that these psychic powers um made her different from her classmates and family she also struggled in school and didn't have many friends because of it so now we have some isolation rich kid isolation at that so after a good start um, once her teen years kind of hit, she began to adapt to her family's lifestyle. So she changed up how she wanted to be perceived and she started to dress preppy and acting in a way that benefited her status. So she conformed to the status quo to basically get mommy and daddy off of her back and to just seem relatively normal in society, right? Mm. Um, shoving her powers down and acting normal, she began to attend events and parties of the Arizona elites. Um, eventually she would meet her first husband and um, they would get married and start a new life together in Scottsdale to raise their two children. Um, I don't remember if I put the name in here, but whatever. Let's we'll call him husband number one. What's <clears throat> behind curtain number one? <laughs> a husband and two kids. Ah, <laughs> normal life. Yes. So now we're going to jump to the 1960s, right? Yeah. Um, with the counterculture movement sweeping the nation, we have to remember what was happening in the 1960s with psychedelics, the hippie movement, peace and love and stop war and all that fun jazz. Um, Susan could no longer ignore these visions and her powers. She was like, I can no longer do it. Ah, she's been holding it in so long. She's been holding it in for years and it's time for her to come forward. She reflected on her life that she built within social elites with the money, the husband, the kids, and she admitted that she was living a lie. And she completely gave herself to the counterculture movement, which AKA meant saying to her family, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, probably felt really good as a kid to be like, you, my whole life with you was a lie. She thinks one. <laughs> that caused some trauma. Yeah. Because uh, I, I had a moment like that too. And yeah. I was like, that's cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. That's cool. So 
as you can imagine, her husband wasn't too, you know, chummy and happy with this new version of her. Um, she was smoking pot daily. She was taking the new sensational psychedelics that were sweeping the nation. Um, suddenly, Susan began diving into all kinds of religions and ended up creating her own, as I call it, Frankenstein's monster <laughs> um, version of her beliefs um, that explained her powers. Ah, so she took religion, as most cults do, and twisted it in a way that made her believable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, determined to preach her new message to the world and the ever impending end of the world, Susan needed others to hear her message and to join her cause, which again, you know, it's quintessential cult thing, right? The world's going to end. Yeah. Isn't it's, it weird? it's always about the apocalypse. Isn't it weird? They all know. Yeah. <laughs> and then nothing happens. So, um, this actually became way too much for them and her and her husband would eventually divorce. Not surprising to anybody. Um, Susan says that post-divorce, her psychic powers grew stronger. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow, how that works. I know. It's surprising, right? Um, This part is important for later on, right? She continues to spiral, somehow coming to the conclusion that she was a witch possessed by the devil. And her children, who were teenagers at this point in time, were worried that she was on the brink of a total mental collapse. How smart of them. <laughs> I deserve it. I'm glad they got their dad's jeans. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's a witch possessed by the devil, right? After a lot of convincing, Susan actually agreed to see a psychiatrist. We'll take a, a step in the right direction, right? Things seemed okay at first. Um, she was placed on medications and seeing her therapist regularly until, dun, 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 right? Susan felt that nothing was improving and she turned, um, and then she turned on her therapist. These people turned on, like, just, well, I'll tell you. Uh, I knew there was going to be something. (laughs) She feared that they were trying to rob her of her powers and, um, to strong, and and her strong religious beliefs. And so she was like, basically like, you're against me, right? Like this paranoia thing. Yeah. And I don't know how they would. They're not witch doctors. They're just psychiatrists. They can't rob you of your power, Susan. But you have me. So that was kind of the straw that broke Campbell's back, so to say. And her children cut ties with her and moved on and moved in to live with their father. So, I mean, that's good on them, honestly. Like, to do that in the 1960s was probably really hard, Mm -hmm. right? Because, like, we see this all over today. Like, we're talking millennials and, like, Gen Zs and, and, like, gen x even like cutting ties with toxic family members and how hard that is today like get on that mm-hmm. and also probably made them look bad that they have a crazy mom <laughs> yeah but their friends shit so with no one but her thoughts and the voices in her head susan thought it was time to start branching out and meeting new people and what better way to do that than at a house party of course mm-hmm. okay so now we're gonna jump into james Bear Carson. Okay. Because as you can probably guess, they're going to meet at said house party. Yeah. Okay. So he was born November 28th, 1950 in Oklahoma. He primarily goes by Michael, like I said before. Um, so once he changes his name, we'll refer to him as Michael. Um, his dad was a retired government official. And as most government and military families are prone to, his family moved around a lot. Right. Yeah. He was a base kid, basically. He was also diagnosed with Perth's which I'm sure, you know, is like a rare bone disorder. P-E-R-T-H-S, Perth. Never heard of it. Now we know. 
severe bone disorder. Um, and for the next three years of his life, he was bedridden, which is pretty sad. Um, while this may not seem odd to most, uh, James was a lover of nature and he, when he was really young. So any chance to escape, you know, being in bed, um, he would immerse himself in the outdoors. Among other things, he, I'm sorry, another thing about him, most likely due to traveling around, um, James loved to learn about uh, Native American cultures and had come to his own beliefs that God and nature were one and the same, which I'm like commendable. Okay. Right. Like it's a very, um, what is it? Native American way of thinking about things. Right. Right. That's very much how they see. So I thought that was pretty cool, which makes me wonder how these two, whatever, but we'll get there. So as you can imagine, um, a strict regimented, always on the move family, boring, Boring over him would be any kind of, would make him feel trapped and itchy to escape. Then to be told that you're no longer able to escape to your place of sanity was probably really hard. And it was noted that after James' personality, after this, James' personality changed and he stopped being a happy-go-lucky nature boy and even struggled with mood swings in adolescence. So he was this outgoing kid. And then when he's bedridden, he totally changes. Yeah. Right? Like your freedom is stripped away from him yeah. at that point. Um. Where was I? Okay. He was pulled from school. Um, he he was pulled from school. He wasn't able to walk and not allowed outside, which is probably hard for him. So what was young James to do? He read. And read he did. Um, so much so that he skipped way ahead of his peers in reading level and all of the materials he consumed, the ones, um, what were the ones that intrigued him the most? 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 Most, most, most of all. <laughs> uh, if you had to take a guess, what genre or type of books interested it? <laughs> God, it's like I'm typoing. It's like I think, it's like I need autocorrect on my mouth. Interested <laughs> would be. What do you think? Don't say like religious text. Correct. Oh. Religious texts did uh, interest him the mostest. Um, <laughs> um, after learning about all kinds of religions, when he was finally able to go back to school again and rejoin the actual world, um, he was, in his words, an atheist and a Marxist. So totally radical differences from not only Susan, but also what he was believing once before, mm -hmm. right? Um, his erratic worldviews and religious beliefs made it hard for James to blend uh, blend back in with his peers. And ultimately, he became friendless. So we're seeing some patterns across the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, once the counterculture movement made its way uh, to Lou, his part of town, that part of the country, he totally jumped in both feet first. Mm -hmm. So now we're starting to see their, their, what is it, worlds collide, I guess is the word, phrase. So now in 1968, um, James went to San Francisco to join the flower power movement against the Vietnam War. So good on him. He studied politics and religion in college, but graduated with a degree in Chinese literature. Okay. Don't know where that came from, but you know, good on him. Um, after JFK's assassination, there's a lot of history happening in this crazy story, which helps it stay crazy. So after JFK's assassination, um, he was devastated and he became lost. So it's interesting because people who were around during JFK's time are like diehard JFK people. It's like the Trumpers here, 
right? Like if Trump was to die tomorrow, people would like lose their shit. That's all I'm saying. Like John's mom. I just, I'm like, these are just people, you guys. Like, I know. They're people like anybody else. Yeah. They poop just like everybody else. I don't get, I don't get the fascination of becoming obsessed with like politicians, like, you know, that kind of stuff, like celebrities and stuff. I'm like, they're, they're people. Mm-hmm. Like John's mom, obsessed with JFK. Like she, like for like us about like 9-11, like I knew exactly where I was and what I was doing and 9-11 happened. He, his mom, she's like, I know exactly where I was, who I was with, what I was wearing when JFK was assassinated. Wow. What she was wearing even. Yeah. Which I find very impressive. Um, So he is devastated by JFK's death with nowhere to go or goals to work towards. Um, He became acquainted with, what do you think? What do those destitute with nothing and no one tend to turn to? Drugs? Yes. I got it right, you guys. Two for two. (laughs) Um, He first started experimenting with mescaline. um, And I don't really remember what that is. Do you know what mescaline is? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Look it up. Let's give it goobs. Mm. How do you spell it? M-E-S-C-A-L-I-N. There are people listening right now that are like, wow, really? You don't know what that is? No. No, we don't. So it's like an LSD. It's a ah. hallucinogen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that explains it. Because after he takes it, this would send him on a trip that would change the course of the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So he goes on this big trip. It's like it's like peyote or whatever. Peyote. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Okay. Looks like a like a tiny little berry. It's so cute. Slash mushroomy looking thing. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. Cool. It's got a flower. Aww. Hmm. Weird. It's like an alien fruit. Okay. Well, I mean, hallucinogen. Probably from aliens. You know, they did. They, they are real. They probably just like. I'm just gonna toss this at her. You know, they, 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 they like, use this. See what happens. <laughs> Um, so currently at this point in time, he's an atheist. Um, his, his trip sent him on a journey that left him afterwards on a religious mission. So it converted him from atheism, which is. So he went from being naturally religious atheist to now biblically religious. Yeah. So he went from very like. Holistic. Yeah. Same to atheism and Marxism to taking drugs. And now he's on a religious mission. He's easily swayed. Okay. Okay. Um, um, now with his eyes wide open, you could say, um, he frequented um, a plethora of churches around his campus and at one point met a lovely woman named Lynn. When you said eyes wide open, all I can think of was like that Creed song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, immediately. I don't know why that popped in my head. My brain. Because that's yeah. that song was so hot when it came out. <laughs> But any kind of like millennial countdown, that song pops up. So yeah, it's only fair that you think that. I lost the slipper. <laughs> Did you find it? Found it. Okay, good. Hello. Um. So shortly after their sophomore year, these two wed. So he goes to San Francisco for school. He does all this kind of stuff. He meets Lynn. They get married. After graduation, uh, James and Lynn move to Phoenix, where Lynn has a job as a teacher. So again, worlds colliding. 
Um, not long after the couple settle in, as I called it, the devil's armpit, which is still very true. Um, Lynn was the breadwinner and James was the stay-at-home parent to their daughter. And, oh, one podcast I listened to, um, it was Criminology, and they interviewed Jen. They actually interviewed her. And she had some stuff to say. Uh, it was really interesting. It was a really interesting episode and her interview was worth listening to because I think it gives another view on what it was like to be a child um, of a serial killer, aka Jen is their daughter. Just, I yeah. didn't think I clarified that. Yeah, I, I gathered it. Lynn, Jen is the daughter. So they interview her, they interview their daughter and she really kind of opens up and talks about what that was like. Um, everything's in the show notes. So you can just go look it up. I think it's really worth listening to. Um, but after, da, 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 where was I? Okay. So James is a stay-at-home dad, um, who was also a part-time part, a part-time pot dealer. That was fun. Um, she, Jen, their daughter, had distinct memories of helping him fill dime bags, solid, on family business. Something changed in James and he became an addict and then started becoming violent towards Lynn, but he never became violent towards Jen. Um, the tipping point for Lynn was when little Jen crawled into broken glass that Lynn had dropped during an argument with James after he hit her hard enough that she actually dropped her glass. And then their baby walked into the glass and she was like, never again. So she scoops up her daughter and they leave. Um, Lynn very quickly filed for divorce and, you know, good for her. Mm -hmm. You know, domestic violence is not something that we tread lightly on. So good for her. Um, it's possible that since she was the breadwinner, it was a little easier, but I'm sure it was still very scary to do, especially like, you know, during that time. Um, where was I? No, 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 no. It's... Okay. So by now his family life is destroyed and left to his own devices. James was lost once again. Um, he needed a purpose. He needed a mission, which seems to be a running theme for him. He needs something to work towards. Um, in his life and he has to it has to be like something very grandiose yeah it seems um so what was that mission basically is to find someone to guide him someone to teach him someone to believe in which is really working with what susan is looking for right right um <clears throat> so if you haven't noticed james is definitely a follower and a sheep he's a sheeple oh right? yeah for sure for sure um, which is ironic given his devotion to the counterculture movement, but hey, aren't we all just sheep disguised, whatever we want to be, right? Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Oh, those are weird notes. Some of the drugs that he was using, this is a side note, was like speed, acid, and pot. That's kind of what his drugs of choice were. So now we're going to fast forward to November of 1977. So after James is divorced, um, he would leave his four-year-old daughter home alone a lot while he and his friends attended parties. So we're talking like joint custody type situations. Both a part of the upper class party scene in Arizona. The two probably went to the same parties, him and Susan. But on this night, this very night, Susan took acid for the first time and spotted James. She says that Allah sent him to her. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So Susan, being Susan, approaches him and told him just that. Oh, and that Allah named him Michael, the after the archangel. Now his name is Michael. So that's where we're in transition. Thank you, Acid, for <laughs> bringing us this content. Yes, sponsored by Acid. <laughs> <laughs> 
not even once. Um, suggesting they go back to her place, Michael happily obliges. So there's no red flags for him at any point of this. He's just like, sure, my name's Michael, let's go. <laughs> um, she told him that she's been searching for her soulmate, and that night she found him. Um, Michael never left her home after that night. It was a love at first acid trip, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. That's a fun how did you guys meet story, right? Yeah, that's because like I did I didn't really like the name James anyways. It didn't, it didn't slap right, you know. It's more, he's more of a Michael, yeah, more of a Michael man. Um Susan began school. Uh sorry, she didn't begin school. She began to school Michael that they that there was an impending holy war. It's always a holy war. Have you noticed that? Holy war apocalypse, all fit, yeah. Mm. It's always some kind of holy war and it's them or whatever. So why is it always just like doom? I know, right? Like you can't just like be happy. Yeah. Whatever. Um, where is it? Okay. So she's telling Michael of, all, of, of this upcoming holy war and that they need to battle the forces of darkness. But she's still afraid that she was a witch. She's still scared that she's a witch possessed by the devil. Um, but this time, Michael reassures her that she was not a witch. And that she was, in fact, a yogi. A yogi? Yeah. Like Yogi the Bear? No, I wish. Um, blessed with the second sight of God. I looked at what a yogi was a long time ago. I don't really remember. You're not going to have to Google it. I don't want to disrespect what a yogi is. But I feel like it's uh, indicative of, like, Native American culture. It's it's almost kind of like their version of, like, a shaman. Let me see. What? Is but no, not yo either. That'd be hilarious though. Um, oh, here we go. I no, not yoga. I said, what is yogi? What makes someone a yogi? Here we go. A yogi is an individual who adopts yoga into their day-to-day life and commits themselves to the practice to maintain a level of adept adaptness. Mm, I don't think that's right. Okay. In essence, a yogi strives to be the best human possible and to embody the virtues of kindness, truthfulness, compassion, and practice towards others. I don't think she's those, but you know what? <laughs> Roll with it. I'm she's more close to Yogi the Bear, you know? Yeah. yeah. Naked in the woods stealing people's food is probably right up her alley. Mm -hmm. And she has a little minion too. She does. She does have a little minion. So now that he's convinced her that she's a yogi, he also says she's been blessed with a second sight from God. So now we're building up this pedestal for her. Um, this obviously only fueled Susan's ego, and she felt now more than ever that she was more powerful, and they needed to pinpoint their common enemy. She doesn't even know who the enemy is. We haven't even established the enemy, but yeah. they, they're going to yeah. you know, unite against this enemy. Mm, with, you know, Yogi the Bear as their mascot. With all the picnic baskets. <laughs> The picnic baskets. That's so true. Uh, that's where they're gonna keep all the like their Tommy guns, you know. <laughs> so great. And shrooms, you know, all the shrooms and analyses and oh yeah. More names for people. Mm -hmm. You never know what's gonna come out of that basket, you know? Never know. So we're gonna fast forward to 1978, a whole year later. The two sold all of their belongings and left for London. Um, they unofficially married in their hotel room. Um, then they went to visit Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> honeymoon time i know right 
By this point, Susan was pregnant and was still battling with her fears of darkness. So I guess he didn't convince her enough that she wasn't a witch. Um, she wholeheartedly believed that her psychic powers, um, through her psychic powers, she was confident in her ability to sense witches. And according to her, they were everywhere. Dun, dun, dun. Just got it all figured out. And of course, it's just, like, it's just so corrupt here in London. There's witches everywhere. So during one of their trips around Europe, Susan miscarried, which is unfortunate. Um, but she declared that her pregnancy was hexed by witches. <laughs> Nothing else could possibly have caused her to have a miscarriage. You know, I would imagine there there probably was some LSD or some psychedelics involved. Yeah, maybe not enough food. No. Witches. Yeah, witches. So as we can all see here, that any inconvenience in her life, Susan is going to push that blame onto something else, probably witches. So that's a factor that plays in. Mm -hmm. Um, do, 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 do. When Susan says, oh, yeah. When Susan said jump, Michael jumped. Um, he asked her how high. Following this unfortunate event um, that I am sure had, like, had nothing to do with drugs, booze, and partying, <laughs> Susan had declared them... Um, Oh my god, I totally fucked this up last time. Hash, hash assassins. Hash assassins. Hash assassins. One word. Hash assassins. Hash assassins. Yeah. It's like the A kind of goes away. Because if you say it two words, it's not two words. It's one word. Anyway. Hash assassins. Uh, or hash smoking assassins. <laughs> uh, that were warriors of Allah. It just reminds me of something. No, this one reminds me of Ashley and Flash. <laughs> He ain't slinking burgers, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, no. Crash slinking slasher. Oh, that's so great. So now we've got Yogi the Bear. <laughs> we've got the hash slinging slasher. Skin great, man. Slinging uh, army. So now there's some kind of hash smoking assassins of Allah. <laughs> this is so great, isn't it? Um, it, it's so fun because the story is like, you know, those weird little plays that children put on for you and somehow they derail way off the tracks mm, like yeah oh, no, 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 it's not done yet and you're like this you know their life so um do, 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 do. i said please note that susan dismantled the islamic faith and duct taped together some bullshit to fit her agenda which i kind of talked about before like she just kind of frankensteined a bunch of religions to just meet what she needed it to meet Due to the hex that took her baby and new assassins of God, they were back in the U.S. and ready to make all the witches pay for their evil ways. Hence the name, the witch killers. Oh, the hash slinging slashers. The hash slinging slashers. Let's call them that. I think that's going to have to be in the name somewhere. <laughs> uh, Yogi the bear and hash slinging slashers. Yogi and the hash slinging slashers. Ah, uh, so good. Okay. So when they came back, they wandered around the country selling drugs and living a nomadic lifestyle. So now we're going to fast forward to 1980. So two years later, eventually the two of them will land in San Francisco. And of course, they need a place to stay. And the best place to find a spot for the night, where else going to party? Party, party, party. So this is where the fun starts. So now we're going to talk about the murders. So the first one was Karen Barnes, who was only 22 years old. Um, when the couple joined a party, Susan, like her eye, like was like her. So she was like, and you know, she fell on Karen. That was her name. 
she actually wasn't a bad Karen. She rocked, um, here's how, here was how Karen looked. She rocked an orange mohawk, which we loved. And she had a very welcoming presence about her. Um, so she was just a very kind-hearted alternative person. She just wanted to live her life. Um, so the couple approached her and Susan told her that she was a psychic and Karen shared in her enthusiasm. She's like, oh, I'm also like a medium. I'm also a psychic. Um, and she was a clairvoyant. The three hit it off and Susan wanted her to join the cause. So now we've looped in a third party. It wasn't long after this meeting that Susan and Michael would actually move into her home. Convenient. How, look, look how that works out. I know, right? How How clever that she found her other person. So in November of that year, um, when Reagan was sworn into office, the couple felt uneasy and they told Karen that they suspected the president to be the devil. <laughs> to which Karen confirmed this is because <laughs> she confirmed it all because the letters in his full name came out to 666. <laughs> I don't make this shit up, man. <laughs> Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what, I mean, what more proof do you need? Yeah. So now we're at this very not suitable clue, um, not a very subtle clue. And he, you know, could have done better if you asked me, but whatever. So by now, Susan was growing annoyed with Karen. Oh, no. Turmoil in the household. Um, and decided that she was a witch. Not only which, no, no, but the most powerful one in San Francisco. Wow. <laughs> How convenient. Um, now, where did this come from all of a sudden, right? You're probably curious, like, why would she turn on her? She's here for the cause. Well, you take a guess. Where do you think this came from? Maybe all of a sudden, maybe Susan was concerned that her power was greater than hers. Oh, that's a better guess than the real answer. Oh. It's more petty than that. Yeah, it's exactly what you think. Hmm. Yeah. So Susan was jealous. Well, yeah, I mean, I got some of it. Yeah. So she was jealous of how cozy Michael and Karen seemed to be. Um, I remember what I said earlier, Susan puts any bad feelings and anything bad in her life onto other people. So why else would she feel this way? Not because she's jealous, but because Karen's a witch. And it's her telling her, it's her body telling her, she's a witch. She's been deceiving you. So now at this point, her husband, um, by the way, like her husband is 10 years younger than her. Okay. Michael is 10 years younger than her. I mean, like, get it, Susan. Shit. Yeah. Um, also why she's probably able to manipulate him. Um, but she felt that the two, they, he was... He was flirting with a girl 10 years younger than him. So Karen's 20 years younger than Susan, and she's watching them flirt, or that's what she thinks is going on. Probably is. <laughs> but um, so this didn't sit well with her. Um, they had a marriage where Michael was, this was their marriage. Michael was allowed to take more than one wife, but Susan didn't like that. Which I'm like, why were you open to that in the first place? You kind of called the shots, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so she didn't like that, but okay, mm, that's fine. So February of 1981, the day after Karen's 23rd birthday, which seems very, I feel like very like, you know, Sleeping Beauty, on the day of your 16th birthday, she'll <laughs> cut a finger and die. Unfortunately, that's not what happens here. 
So the day after the couple confront Karen, after being a witch, she obviously and adamantly denied the accusation. During the peak of this argument, Susan orders Michael to kill her. Smite her, I say. <laughs> and without hesitation, he bludgeons Karen in the back of her head with a frying pan. A frying pan? I know, right? So cartoonish. Just what? So they are like the hashling and slashes, because didn't he have like rusty spatulas for hands? He had a rusty spatula, yeah. Just one. Just one. Oh. Uh, so there's the frying pan. <laughs> there's the frying pan. So he bludgeons Karen in the back of the head with his frying pan um, and knocking her unconscious, obviously. And then he gets a knife and he repeatedly stabs her over and over and over and over while Susan just stood back and enjoyed the show. Of course. I mean, why would she get her hands dirty? This is his fault. Yeah. I mean, I don't know she's the witch, but he had no part in it, right? Like, even if he was flirting with her, it's like, where's his accountability in that, you know? Where's his head to the frying pan to the head? Right. Just a quick one. You know, just a little, you know, a little concussion. Not Nobody died from that. Also, that had been like a quality, like, frying pan right there. Cast iron, baby. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, you're not knocking someone out with nonstick. Yeah. You know, like those, like, the, the Walmart brand, like nonstick ones. I mean, that handle would have broken for sure. I could bend that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> um. So yeah. So she just stood back, enjoyed the show, and then she told him that she could feel her powers coming back to her the moment he stabbed her. Yeah, the woman's fucking nuts. I can't with her. Um. And ultimately what like that's what would be what killed her obviously she died from stab wounds after the murder the couple decides that their work in san francisco is now complete and they need to head to a new place to get rid of witches mm. <laughs> funny how that works you know i know they've killed the head witch of san francisco yeah fuck all the rest of them it's fine there's not gonna be another one job is done yeah right i'm like if she's the head well, listen if she's the head witch in charge you know the hb where are her people to help save her from this attack? Right? All right. Right? But anyway, loopholes. It's fine. So now we're going to jump to May of 1981. This would be just a few months after her murder. By now, Susan and Michael have hitchhiked their way to Oregon, um, where they found a place to stay in the woods. Still hellbent that Reagan was the devil, uh, the two were trying to plan a way to achieve their goals and start the Holy War. Interesting how all of these cults are like, there's going to be some kind of war and holy war and we have to start it. Mm -hmm. What if you just don't? What happens if you just like don't? Right. What don't do all like, the preparing. Like just don't. I'll just like mind your business. Yeah. Shocker. Anyway. Yeah. So soon the couple was out of money. They were out of food and drugs. Um, and because Susan didn't do anything for herself, she made Michael... Uh, it, she made it Michael's job to solve their predicament. What was Michael's solution? I will tell you. He would hitchhike back to Los Angeles and then he would return with food, money, and drugs. Right? And even brighter passion for their cause. So they have so much more passion, right? It's like a retreat. It's like a work retreat. <laughs> and it's interesting because as jealous as Susan was, um, and she really wasn't in love with this plan, but she knew it was their only option. That was the only option. No other options. Uh, you know, can't call rich mommy and daddy. Maybe you 
can't like get a job, you know, get on the right meds, don't do drugs, right? Mm. So, so it gets fun. So that's what exactly what happens. So it's fine. So she was like, this is our only option. Da, 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 da. She told him that this was a test from Allah and that she had to endure a fast until he returned. So Patrick, gonna starve. um until you return with some chocolate you know what i mean wow this is a lot more related to spongebob than i thought um so it didn't take long for michael it's so fun it didn't take long for michael to make his way to los angeles um and susan actually wasn't really prepared for how long her fast was going to be because once michael hit venice beach uh he kind of forgot what he was there to do (laughs) he was like a squirrel when he was he was like nuts <laughs> he was like and he totally like kind of forgot why he was there oh god like, all the add all of it and <laughs> honestly like i kind of wish he didn't remember like it would have been better for him but yeah. his hands are dirty anyway um okay so um as if forgetting what he was there to do michael made signs to warn people of the evil ways of reagan um defacing public property with radical end of the world propaganda and even starting their own and even starting their own manifesto <sighs> there it is can't be a cult without a good manifesto no um God, we should just do like a side episode of just like how to make a cult isn't there like, an, like, a, like a series on oh yeah there is it's totally funny yeah it's totally worth watching like how do you like, become like a cult leader or some shit like that it's really funny you should watch it um there was also another one similar to that it was like basically like how to like take over the world or how to be like a dictator or whatever it's similar and that they make fun of it in a way yeah and they basically pull from all like you know people like stalin and hitler and things like that it's it's really funny um watch it it's good um so what crazy god made me do it killer didn't have one right um could you really call yourself a warrior of god if you didn't have a manifesto not really and over the next few days michael had realized he had a new calling that was to make the world see the teachings of his wife the prophet yep she's got a new title now (laughs) um before he fucking remembered that she was literally starving in the woods (laughs) he's like everyone needs to know her teachings she might die but teachings yeah like oh my wife oh fuck i forgot i forgot about my wife starving (laughs) in the woods it took him two weeks to get back to her in the woods right and um he all he brought back was dumpster scraps yum after two weeks of starvation dumpster scraps and like little wild berries in the forest probably susan was incoherent and basically losing whatever was left of her mind so dope um after eating also so she just like (laughs) literally was like I'm just going to sit here and wait this. Basically. Not do anything. Basically. So she basically put herself in her own padded room, was literally going insane while starving to death. I mean, obviously she drank water. Otherwise she would have died way sooner. Like you can't go two weeks without water. Wow. That's a whole nother level of stubborn. I know. She's like, I'm being tested by Allah. Yeah. And by Allah, I will win. <laughs> so she lives. So after she eats, Michael told her what he had been up to <laughs> in, in Venice Beach. And uh, she was on board with his plans uh, to be her scribe and distributor, distributor of their manifesto. I'm like, wow, so forgiving. He kept. Yeah. 
Um, so soon enough, later that summer, a park ranger kicked them out of the property they were squatting in, and the couple planned to go to the Midwest. Before that, though, Susan sent Michael to the pot farm in California, where they had friends in hopes of getting some weed to sell to fund their travels. By early 1982, the couple had traveled around the West before we before they ran out of money. Deciding to head back to California, the couple eventually gets into the truck of a man who offers them a place to stay on his property. How kind of him. Right? Mm -hmm. How kind of him. Later that night, after they settled into the cabin, Patrick, who was the driver, he came over to he he came over to have dinner with the couple. Again, what a kind man. Um, around a fire, they drank, they smoked, and they talked. Patrick enjoyed their their eccentric uh, rambles, while Susan decided that Patrick was a witch. <laughs> or a wizard, it really is technically what it would be, right? Yes, but she said witch. So, I mean, all this kindness that he's showing them, and she's like, that motherfucker's a witch. <laughs> Fuck that guy. He's being too kind. So Patrick asked them to leave the next day, um, and they refused. As the couple spent the rest of the month selling off their remaining supply, Susan told Michael that everyone in the little town was a witch. So kind of to get an idea of what this property was, it was, I mean, think of it almost like a commune slash campground slash like town. So it's like he has his own property, and then he had this cabin. And the way that, it, if I remember, it was correctly described it was kind of like you know like those cabin campgrounds where it's like you have one here and then you walk down the way and then there's another one there mm -hmm. so I think of it like that and then it's kind of and then it's also like a town so it's not like off the beaten path or anything like that so you get a place to stay and he's like hey I need you to leave and they were like no we're not gonna leave mm -hmm. so they're selling off so they're there for like a whole fucking month which I find impressive selling off their supply and then she's like everybody in this fucking town's a witch Right. Um, and when the end of the month came around and Patrick told them to leave, they did. So this time he was like, okay, hey, let you stay here a month the fuck out. So they did. They left. But Susan planned to come back and get rid of them. All these witches. And they did that very night. So they left and then they came back. They made Molotov cocktails and went back to the property, first setting a blaze to the cabin that they had stayed in before lighting Patrick's house on fire. Yep. Um, and before they left, Michael ransacked an empty tent, pocketing a 32 caliber gun, while Susan tossed another cocktail into the tent of someone she felt was a really bad witch. Like a bad witch as in like, you suck at this? I have no idea. She's like, that bitch. Huh? She looked at me weird. She's a witch. She's a bad witch. So luckily, nobody was actually injured. But much of Patrick's property was actually damaged or destroyed. So, um, unfortunately, he will not be helping people in the future. <laughs> um, and now we have Clark Stevens. So, Clark Stevens was staying in California. Um, and the couple had made their way to Humboldt County, which is in California. And they settled on a pot farm where they could work and live. But, of course, there were others living on the farm as well. It didn't take long for the couple to make enemies out of everyone. Shocker. They're delightful people. When Clark Stevens came to the farm, Susan and Michael already didn't like him. For what reason? I don't know. Um, and that wasn't just because he was friends with the owner. Susan said he was arrogant. That's 
that's rich coming from her. Um, and because he was from Los Angeles, he embodied the modern world's sins and symbolized the witches that were rampant in the big city. Also, there is another Netflix documentary on like Humboldt County, California, because like all the pot and stuff. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of people go missing there because they do like that whole thing of they go on the pot farms to work, you know, and they think it's great, you know, they get to be free and blah, 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 blah. And then they just disappear because, oh, whoa. And, you know, naturally once, you know, there's a large area where there's pot and stuff like that, you get things like drug cartels, mob bosses, things like that. So that's wild. I'll have to watch that. That sounds really interesting. So one day. Susan and Clark got into an altercation, right? And I believe Clark, yeah, Clark Stevens. They get into a fight, they get into an altercation. And after he insulted her, Susan rushed off to tell Michael um, that because he insulted her, he was the spitting image of, he was like, he was spitting on her faith and that it was his job to defend her and that God gave them the gun and this was a test. The logic in that sentence. That's like me going to John and being like, someone insulted me. There is a test from God. You need to go kill them to prove your faith. I, First of all, he would laugh and say no. <laughs> but here we are. Um, now we're going to jump to May of 1982. So this is going to be a year later. The couple would lure Clark away. So they didn't, he actually didn't kill him right away, which is kind of impressive, probably because he's friends with the boss, you know? So the couple lured Clark away from everyone else on the property. That's when Michael drew the 32 caliber and, and struck it in Clark's face. I thought he was going to shoot him, but he just like hit him in the face. Um, upon her command, Michael shot Clark in the head twice and then burned his body before covering it with fertilizer. After a couple of days, the couple fled, afraid of being discovered. Probably a good idea. Um, on their way to the road um, to hitchhike a ride, they encountered a police officer asking for directions to the very farm they were fleeing from. <laughs> Can't make this shit up, ladies and gentlemen. Susan actually gave him the wrong directions um, to give them more time to escape. Afraid they would be caught while hitchhiking, they opt to sleep in the woods that night. But this was a small piece of peace. I'm sorry. This small piece of peace was fleeting when the sound of law enforcement startled them into action. Dun, dun, dun. Too frantic to take their things, the couples split up and ran as far as they could. It turned out the officers were in search of a party uh, looking for a missing hiker. But hey, I mean, I guess, you know, when you murder a man, it's easy to think that everybody's after you, right? Yeah. Um, one big mistake that Susan left, uh, she left behind their backpack. The sniffer dogs led authorities right to it. And what was inside of this backpack? Oh, I'll tell you what was inside of this backpack. Drugs, bullets, and their manifesto with Michael Bear's name on it. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. from something. Yes. Written by. This, you... is the, this is the description of what it looked like, what I'm doing. Exactly. Who I killed. Yes. When we killed them. And our social security numbers. Have fun. Um, due to the attempted assassination on Reagan, the year seeing, um, that year, seeing his name in the manifesto, um, 
hit alarm bells for the authorities. So this actually just happened to be a coincidence, but because they were like, he's a demon, they put his name in this manifesto. And not long, not long before that, that's when the attempted assassination was on him. And they're like, oh, these people probably involved or they want to kill him or whatever. So they turned it over to their higher ranking officers. And Michael was now on the national security threat list because they didn't know who Susan was, but they knew who Michael was. The first hurdle law enforcement encountered was the fact that they could not find anyone by the name of Michael Bear. Oh, why I would wonder in the system. Since James Carson was never legally changed, since he never legally changed his name, his his name was still James Carson. This was a small hurdle because after another dog discovered Clark's remains, Michael's name was mentioned by everyone during interviews with the inhabitants of the farm. While authorities were gaining confidence in their main suspect, he was already in Los Angeles. After um, a mistaken run-in with the law, Michael ditched the gun in the back of a police car. <laughs> um, yeah, so they had just managed to miss it during his pat-down. Hmm. That's concerning, right? Um, he was suspected of being a rapist, but was quickly ruled out and upon release, booked in and out of Los Angeles. When the officers discovered the pistol, they sent out an APB for Richard Harada, uh, the fake name Michael gave the police officers. But the officers investigating the murder of Clark recognized the name because it matched the fake ID found in the backpack. They're so good at this. Um, after a week, the couple met up at a prearranged spot, and instead of hiding out while the, while the heat cooled down, Susan insisted that it was time to continue their mission and start the Holy War. Stay on track, Susan. So seven months after Clark's death, the couple stole another 32 caliber and they went hitchhiking, which is when John Hillier comes into play. So a truck made a U-turn and came back to pick up the couple. Susan told Michael ahead of time that he was a witch and they needed to kill him. Someone they've never met yet. The reality, though, was that John Hillier was a kind and generous man. He offered to drive them to their destination, even said that they could stay at his friend's place. The next day, uh, they took back to the road and Michael jerked the wheel, causing the truck to swerve. And John was able to stop the truck and jumped out, trying to escape this batshit Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) John was too focused on Michael with the gun that he wasn't aware of Susan stabbing him in the back. Literally. Literally stabbing him in the back. Um, After running around the truck, Susan was able to stab John a few more times, and this allowed Michael to end his life with a fatal shot of his gun. So, poor guy. So, those are the three people they murdered. So, now we're going to talk about how they got captured. So, um, onlookers had contacted police, because there's literally people chasing this dude around a truck, trying to kill him in broad daylight. Logical. So onlookers contacted police about the situation and they were on the scene to find John's body in minutes. A pursuit began between the couple in John's stolen truck and authorities. Adrenaline pumping, sirens blaring, and lights lighting up the mirrors like a Christmas tree. Susan stole, Susan lost control and crashed the truck into a tree. <laughs> in a last-ditch effort to escape, uh, the couple attempted to run, but they did not get far before they were arrested out with bang right Mm -hmm, literally (laughs) so in april of 1983 michael offered a deal with officers that he would confess to a murder they were not they had not yet linked to them in exchange um they wanted to hold a new a news conference why you ask 
well. They didn't feel they were getting enough media attention or coverage, so they so they get in front of a camera uh, to proceed to preach their gospel to the world for six hours. Yeah, they want to say their manifesto and all the things. Exactly. They're like, oh, I'll tell you something about another murder that you don't know about, but let me sit in front of the media for six hours. Um, and then he admitted to the murders of Karen Barnes and Clark Stevens and John Hillier and even making jokes about them. Not a cute look. Um, one... A little over a year later, in June of 1984, during the trial, they recounted their confession <laughs> on the grounds of psychic self-defense. <laughs> but you never heard that before, huh? Oh. So psychic self-defense. Um, they would be found guilty <laughs> to all murders and even, uh, and were even given th- each, they were each given, Christ, three life sentences, which, good, glad they did. Um, During the trial, the couple acted very inappropriately, having to be separated from each other because they were kissing, they were laughing, they were making jokes, um, and even having random outbursts and overall never regretting anything that they did. Of course not. Cute, right? Um, In 2015, though, Susan and Michael were actually up for early parole release. Um, Susan had no remorse for her crimes. And just as I know, if you don't know how parole works, you basically sit in front of like a panel and justify why you should be released on parole and why you've done your time, why you've done your thing. And they basically judge your character and you have to make a good impression. It's like an interview. And she was like, I don't feel fucking bad about what I did. Um, so it didn't go well. So Susan had no remorse for her crimes and did not feel bad about anything. And ultimately her parole was denied <laughs> as it should have been. Um, Michael refused his parole, uh, because he still believed in their religion and their cause. Wow. Yeah. That's dedication. I know. I mean, normally people like come to their senses, right. And they realize uh, what was happening. Yeah. That's kind of like the goal of prison, you know? Right. Um, Michael was actually up for parole again in 2020. But it was denied. So that was good. And Susan and Michael will be up for parole again in 2030, which actually isn't that far off when we think about it. Um, there's been no updates on that case so far. Um, there have been. She's old, though. Yeah, she was born in like 40 something. Yeah. What's that? When was she born? Let me see. 1941. I don't know what that makes her. In her 70s? Mm-hmm. Almost. Almost. Yeah. So she's an old lady. Um a not so fun fact, there was another guy named Thomas Legg. <laughs> um he was born in nineteen seventy nine, he died in nineteen eighty three, but he was actually an escaped victim from there. So I don't really remember his story. Um, but I do think he was it, the the moral is he was definitely someone they were like that guy and he actually was able to escape from them so that was kind of like a good thing and then like I said all sources and everything will be in the bottom um, I looked it up today but there was like no updates on this trial I don't know if they still feel the way that they feel um his daughter and victims family members still like actively go during paroles and like don't let them released so I think that's pretty cool yeah so yeah man that's Susan and Michael Bear Carson, the witch killers. What a wild story. The hash slinging slashers. Hash slinging slashers. Featuring Yogi the Bear. <laughs> yeah, it was a 
And the thing is, I'm like, how have I never heard this story yeah, before? You know. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they they would have loved Manson. Mm-hmm. I mean, Susan and Manson would have clashed though. Yeah, you can't have two powerful people in the same room. No, she'd have been like, that's definitely a witch. He's definitely he's the devil that possessed me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's all I got. So thanks for being here. Let us know what you guys think. Um, and I guess we'll update you in seven years. But <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. We'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers. Sounds classy as a glass one, but yeah. no.